0: Let's just quickly pray. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. God, thank you that your presence is here. God, thank you that you're with us. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. I pray right now that you would open our ears to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to us. Lord, I pray. Father, take the words that come out of my mouth, interpret them into a language that each person here would get. In Jesus' name. Amen. Last week I mentioned to you that I had a message from Matthew 25, the parable of the talents that I wanted to talk about. And um, so I decided last week we, we had a different sort of angle to go down. So I thought this week I'll bring that out and we'll, we'll go down that route. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty good. I've even typed it up. I'm not really good at that sort of stuff, but I've typed it up. Um, but when I got here this morning, I just felt uncomfortable. Uh, Not that it's bad. I mean, it's it's good. It's really good. But um, I just felt like God uh, pulled me up this morning and wanted me to go down a bit of a different path. So I'm going to go down a bit of a different path here, Um, and I know where the first step of the path is, and we're going to go down there, and I think I know where it ends. If I don't, um, then it really doesn't matter. I just hope that, that God says something to you through this. So I'm just going to uh we're going to go on a bit of a journey for a little bit of time here. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. That that is the the verse that this particular expression of God's family was founded upon. Uh Arise, shine. If I told you to arise, if I walked up to Daniel, Daniel's a bad, he'll say something funny back at me and he'll ruin the whole moment, so I can't go over there. I'll do it anyway. If I said to Daniel, Daniel, arise. Thank you. First time someone's been obedient to anything I've asked here. I wish we had cameras. I'd love to capture that moment. It's a Kodak moment, that one. Um, Arise, shine. If I spoke to somebody or somebody spoke to you and said arise, it would insinuate a couple of things. One is that at the present time, you weren't up. At the present time, you weren't arisen. You're sitting or you're lying down or whatever, but you haven't risen up yet. So this word arise means that there's some sort of action expected of you. There's some sort of action expected of me. And those of you, we've had a few new people sort of join us in in, in recent times, so I want to go over a little bit. I guess, again, just that, the DNA of who we are as a church. (laughs) I love the church, okay? I love the church. It wouldn't matter if I didn't love the church. Jesus Christ himself loves the church, amen? God the Father loves the church. I've got four children, and they are all so incredibly different, incredibly different They come here, and you look at them, and you just think, oh, they've got the nice kids, they're beautiful. Yeah, whatever. They are so different in personality, and they might walk in here, and and you see, but I live with them, so I see the good, the bad, the ugly, Okay, just like you do with your own kids. I know Felicia's up there playing the keyboards, and everyone's looking up, going, oh, lovely Felicia, but I could talk to Mum and Dad. I'll bet you I could find out a few things, but we won't go there right now. (laughs) Everybody's got their stuff, haven't they? Hands up if you've got no stuff. hey? I've got two hands down. We've all got stuff, but here's the thing: I love all my kids anyway. Now, quite often, my kids will do what I ask, and, and they're doing exactly what I think they should be doing. The way I interpret life, they'll do. And a lot of times, they don't. But I love all my kids, and I think that's what God is like with the church. God loves His church, and every church is different. Every gathering of people is different. When I was first got saved at nineteen, I joined this organization called Youth with a Mission. I got saved and six months later, uh, so when I got saved I, I used to uh, didn 't come out of a church background, and we would rock up to this little uniting church in Ballina where I, got, where I gave my heart to christ and nineteen years of age i 'd get out of the surf with me mates i 'd rock up there were um, the uh, pews you know the, the, the pews, not individual chairs, and so we would put three pews in a triangle, and I would come literally from the beach i 'd walk in, my hair was wet, my pants were wet, I had no shoes on no shirt. Should have seen my body back in those days. <laughs> Actually, if I was as self-conscious now as I was back then, I would have had jackets and all sorts of things on. But anyway, I'd just walk in there with my wet shorts, my wet hair, and I'd sit down on their pew, and a guy would... would, would, would um, it was a night service on a Sunday night, and he'd get a guitar, and he'd ask us, what do you want to talk about tonight? And it was only a small group of us sort of youth. I don't know, but I'm assuming it was like a youth... Uh, group service type thing. I'd never, no context for that, so I didn't know what it was. But we'd rock up and that would happen. Six months later, I'm in Youth With A Mission. So I go from this little, this is my whole context of church to YWAM. All of a sudden, in Youth With A Mission, it's an international, interdenominational mission agency. So there are kids, or when I say kids, I mean teenagers sort of around my age and older, from pretty much every nation on planet Earth and every church background you can possibly think of. And we're all dumped in a dormitory together and told for the next six months, grow. And we got speakers coming from all kinds of backgrounds, and some are raving Pentecostals who are spitting on you when they're praying for you and and you know, pushing you, make sure you fall over when they pray, otherwise it can't be God. I used to love those speakers. I'd put one foot back and I'd fight against them like this, you know. If they were smart, they would have pulled their hand away, I would have fallen on my face. That would have looked so much more dramatic, you know. And then everyone said, Oh, that's what God does. So they'd all start falling forward because that's what we do. Um, So I had all this stuff going on and all this different sort of background happening. But here's the thing. At the end of that time, I looked back on it and I absolutely loved it because I learnt something from everybody. I learnt something from everybody there. Um, There were were, were Anglican people that had an Anglican church sort of background, which was uh, for the the ones I knew, they were fairly uh, traditional and mainline and so on. But you know what? The reverence they had for God, the reverence these people had for God reminded me, hey, I'm an Aussie bloke, God's my mate. He's my mate, but he's also God. Amen? So I learnt this reverence for God from them. And then I had the Baptist people over here, and they were very word, word, word. It's got to be in the word. It's got to be in the word. And I don't care what your interpretation of it was. The fact is, at least they were going to the Word of God to get their interpretations, to find out what they thought about life, to try to discover God. They were actually going to this book here that sits on the shelf of many people gathering dust. A lot of people we don't open unless we're here on a Sunday, or you know, if there's no football on, or the sports over, or you know, we got our reasons. But but they were into this book. These Baptist guys were in of this book, and I learned from them. You know what? It's really, really important to to make sure that what I'm hearing and what I'm getting lines up with the Word of God. So I've got this this group of people teaching me reverence for who God is. I've got this group of people teaching me, hey, if you're really a follower of Jesus, you'll abide in my Word, and my words will abide in you. You see. And then, of course, there was this group of Pentecostal people that that believed that you know, if if somebody's sick. You can actually take these dirty big mitts of yours and slap it on them and believe that the Holy Spirit of God will flow through you into that person and he can heal a sick body. Well, I didn't hear that in some of the other circles, but all of a sudden these guys are saying, no, this actually happens. So you go back to the word of God and you go, oh, wow, it really is in there. Yes, it does happen. And so then all of a sudden this other aspect of God is opened up where God can heal the sick. Where, where, where God can do all kinds of miracles and where God can take the natural order of things and he can twist it and change it and do amazing, amazing things, because which makes sense. If he really is God and he really did say let there be and there was, if he really did take nothing and create a universe out of it, if he really did do all that stuff, then hey, Daniel, you've got a sore arm, let me pray, whatever, of course he can do that. It might not always happen. I don't know why. There's a mystery to, 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 to God. There's a mystery aspect to my faith. But it doesn't mean I stop. It's like, you know, I, I share Jesus with somebody and they don't respond. They don't go, yes, what must I do to be saved? Do I stop telling people about Jesus? Of course I don't. Why? Because Jesus is going to all the world in principle. But how many of us, we pray for one sick person that didn't get healed, so all of a sudden, no, oh, we stop praying for sick because it, well, it didn't happen. Well, now go back to this. So I'm in this group of, 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 of people This really... And then chuck and then into, the, into the mix, not just their church background, not just their, 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 their view and their country and everything. Then you've got the person... It's like just a mix, mixed bag of lollies. And some of the lollies tasted good and some of them wanted to spit out. But by the end of it, I realised that every lolly in that bag was really, really precious and valuable to God. Whether I liked it or not, <laughs> you see? Whether I agreed with it or not, I don't like pumpkin. Hate pumpkin with a passion. Hate it. Pumpkin was not in the Garden of Eden. After the fall, I can show you in the Hebrew. After the fall of man, a pumpkin seed was born, and that pumpkin seed has continued to spread throughout the earth like sin itself. World should be rid of it. But you know what? Pumpkins are a really important vegetable, isn't it? It, it, it brings something to the table. It, 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 it adds something. So anyway, the point I'm making is this: that that that, that God. God loves all of his church, and we're all different flavours. Imagine if you went to Baskin and Robbins, and you took your kids there. You've been pumping this up for weeks, right? Because how many of you kids go to Baskin and Robbins every week? Any, any kids go to Baskin and Robbins every single week of their life? Any parents take their kids? No? No. If you, what do you do? If you're like me, you want ice cream, I just go to the Woolworths, black and gold section, vanilla. That's it. And I get home, and I'll say to the kids, what would you like, vanilla or Vanilla. But it's still your choice, right? Or vanilla or nothing. But what I love about Baskin and Robbins is all the different flavours of ice cream that are available. I mean, it's unbelievable. If I dug deep enough, there's probably a pumpkin flavoured ice cream. Um, I wouldn't need it, but there could be pumpkin flavoured ice because pumpkins are available. You like pumpkin? Somebody here likes pumpkin, I can tell. God's saying you do. Okay. We'll pray for you later on. It's the sin nature, Jenny. Um, but Baskin and Robbins has all these different flavors, and the church is kind of like Baskin and Robbins in a sense. There's all these flavors, you know, all these different flavors, and one flavor really suits a certain person, and one suits another, and this flavor isn't going to work for this person, and so on, you know. But it doesn't mean that we hate the other flavors. It just means that it's not my flavor. A rise has a flavor, and the flavor of a rise is. That anybody that comes here or feels connected to this church—if you feel that God's calling you to be a part of this—we are. We have a responsibility, and I think God wants to use us as a church to agitate one another, to get up, to rise up. There are these different analogies of church. You know, some people say church is is a hospital, and people come along. And they, they, they're sick and broken and you go into a hospital and they make you well. And I like that analogy. I think that's a good analogy because broken people come. And I'm broken myself. I'm not all together. Okay? None of us are. And we're on this journey of wholeness and God's using us and moving through us. And in essence, it's this journey of slowly getting up on one leg and then getting up on the other and then standing and, and rising. Getting up above whatever it is that's holding us down, that's keeping us back. Challenging us to, to move forward and move upward and so on. And, and hospitals are good in the sense that, that they, you know, they might want to make you get well, but they're going to kick you out of that bed and get you out. But um, you know, what's, that, what's the hospital thing where people go and they don't come out and they go to die? What do they call that? Palliative care. Sometimes people are think some people think church is like a palliative care unit. You just go and sit in there and just die. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to try to get better. You don't have to activate anything. You just go and lay there. Someone's going to look after you and you're going to die one day. I don't think that's the picture that I see in the book of Acts of church. I see this picture of an army of people. When I read the book of Acts, I see a bunch of people that when God got involved in their world, something changed. Something changed. All of a sudden, they had these passions and these desires to want to do something with this newfound God... That they had discovered. They wanted to get out there and they wanted to tell people about this God. They wanted to overcome whatever. I'll guarantee you they were fearful and they were hurting and there was all kinds of things going on in their world that would have tried to pull them back from this new life that God had for them. But there was something inside of them that caused them to rise up and go, you know what, I'm going to bust through that stuff anyway. I'm going to keep on going forward. I'm going to run into this new life That God has for me. I'm going to run into this new uh, uh, existence that Jesus purchased for me on the cross because it's not just going to fall into my lap. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to run after it and I'm going to go hard. And when I think about a rise, that's what I feel like. I feel like we're here as a, a kind of a, you know, those machines that people put around their belly and they stand there because they don't want to run. So you just let the machine do this And you lose it. You ever seen those machines? And the belt goes like this. And the idea is, well, I don't have to do nothing. The belt's just going to take all the fat off me. And so the belt just, you know, because I don't want to run. Well, here's the thing. You can come here, but I'm going to strap a belt around you. And I'm going to just keep on doing this. And we're just going to keep on agitating because that's the flavor that we are. Amen. God doesn't want us just to come along on a Sunday morning to some religious meeting and sort of top up our religious tank and then go through our life as if nothing happened, as if nothing happened. God has so much for you and me. If I go back to the cross and I go back to Jesus hanging on that cross and Jesus saying it's finished and then I read the New Testament, all the things that Paul prays to the Ephesians, I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would know the the greatness of the call of God, the richness of his glory and the greatness of his power that works in you. Paul's praying. I just pray for this bunch of believers, these Christians in Ephesus. He's praying for them. I want your eyes to open because I want you to see some things you're not seeing right now. I want you to walk in some things you're not walking in right now because God has a life for you. It's not a case of, okay, Jesus comes in today and now my life's exactly the same, just I've got Jesus with me. That's not the plan of God. The plan of God is that when Jesus comes in, then our lives are actually transformed. And that we, we're going forward and we're going upward and we're moving in a direction towards the very life that he has for us. There's an interesting, interesting uh, passage in Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 uh, verse 3. And, and God says to Joshua, now Moses was leading the children of Israel at one point, And Moses was a maintenance man. That's what Moses was. He, he, they, they came out of Egypt. And then they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Their shoes didn't wear out. They got manna daily from heaven. Uh, they got water. They got what they needed at the moment. That was it. There was no uh, going forward. There was no storing up. It was just, I'll give you what you need when you need it. And Moses was basically maintenance it to me. And I'm going to wander around for 40 years with you. We'll just maintain what we have until we're all gone. And then the next generation will get a chance to walk forward and do something. Okay? So Moses wanders around. Then they all die. And then Joshua assumes leadership of a couple of million people. And then God comes to him and he says, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given you, as I said to Moses. In other words, I made a a, a promise to a group of people. These, 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 These Israelites, a couple of million were in Egypt in bondage and slavery. You can go back and you can read about it in the Old Testament. Read about it in Exodus. God calls Moses. Moses comes into them. Does amazing miracles. And Pharaoh, the the, the most powerful man at the time, has no choice but to let this entire nation of Israel go. That's all of his workers. That's all of his slaves. That's everything that's productive about his nation is coming off the back of their sweat. And God backs him into a corner. And in the end, Pharaoh has no choice but to say, go, take him. And so Moses leads a couple of million people. I mean, we're not just talking a small group of people here. We're talking a couple of million human beings loading up their backpacks and going, see you later, <laughs> we're gone. And they're marching out. And then we know how the story goes, then Pharaoh's heart changes and he goes, what am I doing? Let's go and get them. He comes after them and the, we, the story's there where the, the, the waters of the Red Sea part and the children of Israel run through onto dry land on the other side of the Jordan and, and Pharaoh and his armies come charging through on this dry ground and all of a sudden the water goes over and they're all wiped out. So now what we've got is we've got Israel on the one side of the Jordan, the side they're meant to be on. Now they're on the right side of the river. They're free. Their bondages are broken. They've been set free. But God said, I've got a promised land for you to walk into. There's something for you to go into. It's not just about being set free. It's about going into what I've got for you as well. And so we're not happy just to be set free. I don't want to have a uh, be here. I don't want to rise to be a church of people who are happy just to be set free. We're happy. We've got our fire insurance ticket, and when we die, we're going to be with Jesus. That's not what we're about. I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying that's not the flavor of ice cream in this shop. We want to agitate because there's so much more, and so God comes here to to uh, to Joshua and says, "Every place to solely foot or tread upon." What's He talking about? Movement. You've got to be moving. You've got to be moving. You can't just stand there and go, yeah, praise God, I've got all these wonderful promises. Thank you, Lord, I've got this. Yeah, thank you, God, I'm, I'm forgiven. Thank you, God. I'm. Do something. Do something. Because the reality, the fact is, all of that land was given to them by God, but they own none of it except the places where their feet went. Until their feet hit the ground... It didn't matter what God had stored for them. It didn't matter. And to prove it, he allowed a whole generation to wander for 40 years in the desert, even though on the other side over there was exactly what God had for them. God God had stuff for them. People people ask the question, does God's will always come to pass? Well, I don't want to get into the deep theology of it. But I do want to, uh, 2 Peter 3, 9, I think it is, says this. It's the will of God that none should perish but All should come to repentance. Are all coming to repentance? Don't have to answer me, but I'm asking a question. Does God's will always come to pass? There's a mystery. All I know is this. I want everything that God has set aside for me. I want it. But I also know that I have a free will choice to spend my life pursuing whatever I want. I can go after whatever it is that I want. I can pick up this Bible and get into this thing and let the word of God transform me if I want to or I don't have to. I'll still go to heaven. I still love Jesus. I still believe that he died on that cross personally for me. I still believe that I can't perform my way into heaven and that Jesus did everything that was necessary for me to be made right with God. So I'll still get there. But I've got another, uh, I'm aiming for about another 44 year, uh, 54 years this side of heaven. That's my goal. I want to live to be 100. My, my gra- great-great-grandma lived to be 100. She was walking around in the garden at 100, doing a gardening. And I'm still going to be playing touch footy at 100. That's my goal. If I, I've got to make it to 100 because that's about when I can perceive the Tigers winning their next premiership. We're that far behind everybody else. But God comes to Joshua and he says, everywhere with the sole of your foot will go. Now, here's what happened. This is what happened with that nation. They went, woo yeah, woo Parents and grandparents are dead. They're out of the way. We're the generation, we're charging. Come on, Joshua, lead the way, let's go, woo And they took off into the promised land and they start taking places and knocking down walls and smashing and crashing and banging and cheering and wooing. And then we get this moment in Joshua 18. Joshua 18.3, it looks bigger on there than it's going to be in my book. Joshua 18.3. Joshua says to the children of Israel, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? So here's what happened. They went in, they won a couple of battles. They took a bit of land, they did a few things. It's like God had a whole box of pizza for them and they'd had three pieces. And then they set up a tent and a hammock got a cold drink laid back in the hammock put their feet up hand behind their head and went "Ah, oh, isn't this great it's awesome look what we've done isn't this is fantastic and God comes along and goes what are you doing what are you doing why are you got your hands behind your head why are you swinging on the hammock why are you content with that I've got so much more here in store for you. And you've come to this place of stopping and not pressing in and not pursuing. You don't want to fight anymore. You you just want to... What's happened? What's happened? So they had a little bit of success. They made a little bit of ground. Then they stopped. And I'll I'll tell you this. In my... (laughs) I got saved at 19. I've probably been... Involved in, in, I don't know, church, ministry, call it whatever you want. Working with people within the context of the kingdom of God for the best part of 25 years now. And I've seen so many people that started really, really full on, really passionate about the transforming power of the gospel, really passionate about their relationship with God, really passionate about sharing that with others. Not in a weird way, you know, but putting up their antenna every day and saying, Holy Spirit, here I am, use me. Use me. Really passionate about, about praying for, for the sick. Really passionate about about fellowship. Really passionate about the word of God. And then get to a point where that passion becomes apathy. It becomes apathy. And maybe it's because we live in such a blessed place that it's so easy to take those things for granted. Like we gather here, it probably didn't cross most of our minds when we walked in here this morning. Jeez, we're blessed, aren't we? None of us probably walked in here and thought, I just want to say a quick praise to God that I can walk in here this morning and worship him and I'm not worried about somebody running in with a machine gun. I'm not worried that somebody's going to come on in, take a photo of me, take it to the government and I'm going to lose my job. We were in a, a village in India when we, we were over there one time and we went to this particular village and, 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 and they hadn't had the, 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 the sort of message of the cross before. We went in this one. I'll cut a long story short. We went in there and God began to move. It started off with a little house church thing. We had about six of us in a mud hut. And we went there the first night and, and somebody got healed. And the Holy Spirit turned up and, and things started to happen. Sort of little things just a bit outside the normal sort of box, I guess. Um, nothing unbiblical but you know people were getting healed and set free and so they asked us would you come back tomorrow night we want to hear about more about this jesus so we came back the next night next night there was about 20 people and the same thing god just began to move in this amazing way and they said to us again would you come again we ended up going there it was meant to be one night seven nights in a row by the last night we were actually out on the street. We couldn't even we couldn't go into the house to do it because the crowds out on the street were in the middle of the main street of this village with people everywhere hanging in trees watching what's going on. And God was, was healing people and people were being set free and people were coming to faith. It was amazing. Anyway, the next day we're getting ready to come back again, this massive move of God and our interpreter comes and goes, we're not going back to that place. We asked him why. He said, well, because the... The people in that particular village were run by a certain group and that certain group said to everybody there, if you go to these meetings, you'll lose your uh, plot because they provided grave plots for these people. They said, if you go to that meeting, you've lost your grave plot so when you die, there's nowhere to bury it. Your children will be kicked out of the school that we run. You'll lose your jobs. And so all of a sudden, we were told we can't go back to this place. There's something amazing God was doing. And because of the ramifications and the pressure, these people, we never got the chance to go back. I don't know if we rocked up whether they would have come back or not. I don't know to this day. All I know is that the pressure was put on and stopped. I've never once, not once, have I worried about God moving here and not being able to meet here next week. You know? We're so blessed. Maybe because we're so blessed and things are, uh, I don't know, the way they are, maybe we don't, feel that urgency at times. Maybe it's easy for us to get apathetic about the things of God. But I don't think we're called to apathy. See, the thing is, the remaining patches of land that these people were to go in and get, most of these people were not going to live in those patches of land. Other people were. Other people were. So it's not just about you getting out of Egypt and you being set free. It's about going out there and taking back land that creates space for other people. It's about other people as well. But they just got apathetic about where they were. See, I think the devil has two plans for your life. Make this very very clear. Two plans. Two plans for every single person that's in this room right now. Two plans. First one is to keep you from coming to faith in Jesus. That's his first plan. Because there's a whole new life on the other side. I forgot to turn my phone down. There's a whole new life on the other side of that river. And he just wants to keep you a slave. He wants you to stay exactly where you are. He doesn't want you coming to faith in Jesus. He does not want you coming to the cross. He doesn't want you to repent. He doesn't want you to lay down your life. He doesn't want you to take up your cross. He doesn't want you to have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you because all of a sudden you become uh, an enemy of his, if you want to put it that way. He doesn't want that for you. So he'll do everything he can. He'll fight tooth and nail to make sure you do not come to faith in Christ. The devil doesn't care if you have a million dollars in the bank. Devil doesn't care if you're the most popular guy in town, the most popular girl in town. Devil doesn't care if you make it to the pinnacle and the height of your industry, your company, your career. He doesn't care. But come to Jesus. And he loses control. First plan for your life is he wants to stop you from getting free. He wants to stop you from coming to faith. And the second plan is if he can't stop you coming to faith, he will make you apathetic about your faith. He will make you apathetic. Part of the DNA of us as a church is that fat blaster, that's what it's called, the fat blaster, the belt. I just realized, remembered it. You haven't? Come on, you've seen the ads on TV. They just they stand there, they don't do anything. You know? It's like, I want to lose weight, what should I do? Let me buy a machine where I don't have to move. Hey, we got one of those, and there's a whole industry revolving around that. You know? You're not losing weight at all. Somebody's losing it for you. So they put on the fat blaster. Arise Church is like a spiritual fat blaster. There you go. We are a fat blaster. And we are going to make sure that we try our best with the Holy Spirit to create a community where. Second time. To create a community of people. Where if you want to be apathetic about your faith, we're going to slap that fat blasting belt around you and we're going to start agitating. And we're going to agitate hard and fast because we're running out of time. We're running out of time. You know that phrase, it's like a drop in the bucket? We're living in the drop. We are actually in the drop. Your your life right now is the drop in the bucket. But one day that drop's going to be siphoned out and placed into an ocean of eternity. Right now, it's in a bucket. It's in a bucket. We've got X amount of time. God has so much for us. My, my prayer this morning, like I said, I've got this other message here. It's, it's good. I've got this other message here that I'll get to eventually one day, God willing. But this morning, I just felt like God wanted to remind us of who we are. If you're a part of this church and a part of this group, we're no better than anybody else. We're a bunch of broken people trying to work it out with God just like everybody else is. But we're not going to be comfortable to stand still and do nothing. We're not going to be comfortable to stand around and do nothing when there's so much more that God has for each of us down the track. Amen? I look at my life and I think, you know what, I feel like I'm just touching the tip. I, 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 was, I was looking at the, the uh, water thing this morning because I come in early and I filled up that water thing. And the way it works is you put the water in the top and there's a filter and it drips. Just, just... just drips, you know? I'm so tempted to go, forget that. I'll just fill it up and give you the dirty tap water. But I don't. I make sure I put it through the filter for you, right? You put it on the top and it drips and it drips. I was watching it this morning while I had my fantastic Matthew 25 message and was getting ready to preach it. And I felt like God said to me, that's, that's, that's a rise right now. I felt like God said, this is what I'm doing. I'm just I'm dripping on you at the moment. There's something happening here. And I'm dripping on you at the moment. I'm just dripping. I'm taking, I'm taking what's, what's above there. I'm purifying it. And I'm just dripping it and, dripping it and dripping it and dripping it and dripping it and dripping it. And God drips at the right time. God drips at the right time. He knows when I'm ready for the next drop. He knows when I'm ready for the next drip. I'm not a drip, Bevan. I didn't say that. He knows when I'm ready for that next drip, that next drop. The children of Israel, the first generation were not ready. They were called to go into the promised land, but they never got themselves ready. They whinged, complained, grumbled their way out of the future that God had for them. I don't want to be that person. And I don't want Arise to be that church. Amen? About 14 years ago, I think it was, I'll finish with this, 14 years ago, I was asked to come up here and to be a part of a church plant in Lismore. And we were meeting just around the corner from um, the GSAC, where we originally used to meet those of you that have been with us for a while, just around the corner. I was working for another church and they wanted to plant a church up here. We came up here and we were a part of that. And you know what? It, it it for whatever reason it never got off the ground. It just didn't work. It, it it there were good people and so on. But it fell over. It didn't happen. I'm so excited and expectant about God, why now? Why now? You know, I reckon I was a better person back then than I am now. <laughs> I reckon I was smarter back then than I am now. Certainly had a, 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 a you know a lot more money back then than I do now. But why now? Why now? God's dripping on us. And if you're buying into what God is doing here, if you're a part of this church, we love you. Um, we're not better than anybody else. But we love you too much to just let you sit there and not pursue God. We love you too much to let you just sit there and relax as if... Look, my shadows... Anyone's shadow healing the sick yet? Anyone? No one? Anyone? Just Surely one person's shadows healing. No. Nah. Well, Peter's dead. So I look at that and I go, well, God, I haven't got everything yet. There's still more of you, God, for me to chase after. There's still more stuff you want to do in my life. There's more of my heart that I need to surrender over to you so you can do through me and in me what it is that you want to do for your glory. Not for mine, not for the churches, but for his. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for this morning, Lord. And God, I, I pray that uh, you would take uh, that... Uh, Lord, I'm talking about drips out of there and uh, if that was dribble, I pray that you would interpret that dribble into something that's beneficial. But Father, we thank you for uh, who we are here. We thank you for the opportunity to gather together, Lord. And God, I thank you for the future that you have, uh, not just for us as a group of people, but for each individual in this room as well. Lord, I pray that we would uh, be aware of the schemes of the devil. God, we'd be aware of the, the stuff that he does to try to keep us back from what you have for us, Lord. And God, if we're apathetic, if there's apathy in our world, apathy towards you, towards your word, towards your people, God, towards your mission, Father, I pray you would shake us up And shake us out of that apathy, God, because we want to be the people of God. We want to be the ones that they say, hey, this group of people that have turned the world upside down have come to our city. God, we want to be that group of people, Father. It's only possible through the power and the working of your Holy Spirit as we work with you, Father. So we thank you, Lord. God, I pray for each person in this room over the next seven days when we leave this place. God, I pray every single person in this room, give us a chance to tell someone about the goodness of God who doesn't yet understand about it, Father. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless. Uh, We will see you. Thanks, Daniel. We will uh, see you in connect groups, or we'll see you at worship nights, or we'll see you downtown at the coffee shops, or we'll see you somewhere anyway. And if we don't, we'll see you next Sunday. Worship night. The worship night is on the screen right behind me because Luke's about to put it up there as we wrap up. Bless you, guys.